Today's podcast is part two of two in our conversation on dystopian films and stories. Uh, we hope you are joining us from last week, but if not, this conversation will stand on its own. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, so, Seth, what about you? What's your what's your dystopian? So, I'm kind of I'm kind of surprised that we didn't overlap. I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised that we didn't, but mm. I kind of suspected that we would. Uh, I have also chosen, um, and by the way, I did say in my initial uh, response to the query regarding what we talk about today, I did say stories and films. Yes. So I, mm. I okay. so, so I ended up picking what is actually for me still a story because I haven't seen the film that was developed out of it, and I chose a mm. film. So. Um, no, unsurprisingly, I chose a Terry Gilliam film, but mm. not Brazil. Twelve Monkeys. Mm -hmm. Twelve Monkeys. Oh, okay. I I love that film. Um, mm -hmm. There's something about the kind of manic energy of yes. a young Bruce Willis that kind of mm. like I remember watching Moonlight, the show with Sybil Shepherd mm -hmm. back in the yeah. '80s, and really sure. liking him. Like, really yeah, me too. Him, right? There's a lot of charisma. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But and he has this kind of manic, slightly like um Moonlighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, moonlight. Sorry, moonlight. moonlight. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he has this kind of manic, kind of like jazzy energy. And he's and he's always kind of like looking kind of like he's like he'd just been startled by something. Um and, and kind of believe it <laughs> at the same time. He he reads like kind of the boiler detect boiler or uh, a hard boiled detective who's like kind of constantly surrounded, right. like kind of predator and prey, right. more prey than right. predator. So yeah, that's right. actually right. Yeah, way, definitely noir, like a noir yeah. sort of yeah, yeah. So, of all so, the places you walked into, my you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, yeah. So yeah, nineteen ninety five film directed by Terry Gilliam. Um, actually based on the short story, the short film La Jete, which I've okay. seen, which is not, I don't think nearly as interesting. Um, stars Bruce Willis, Madeline Stowe, and Brad Pitt, um, with Christopher Plummer and David Morris playing some supporting cast. Essentially, playing in the supporting cast. Essentially, there's a deadly virus released in 1996. Wipes out most of humanity. What I love about this film is when it, from the start, when, um, I think it's the opening scenes, you see a bear rear up on his hind legs and kind of roar and then mm. drop down. And you see like a, a an urban um, street mm -hmm. and there's just trash and garbage and stuff everywhere. And it looks like it's been abandoned for eons. And then there's mm -hmm. you know, Bruce Willis character kind of come, kind of comes up and he's, um, and he's wearing this hazmat suit. I think a mm -hmm. uh, clear plastic mm -hmm. hazmat suit. And then he comes back on the ground and underground life. Everybody's basically underground because life on mm -hmm. the planet's surface is just too dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So anyway, the plot of the film is they send, they, it's, it's like 2035. They have to send um, Bruce Willis back in time. I forget what they volunteered for it or he's like just, just an offender and, he, and they force him to do it. They send him back in time to basically stop the plot that will spread the virus. And... Um, I mean, you guys know the story, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with glossing it. People, okay. people know, listening right. may not have seen the, the movie, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, so, I know. Uh, right. So, so what's the one, one of the interesting things about this that's kind of slots into the sort of tension that you both have uh, given rise to is the, 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 this is a story in which the hero both wins and loses, ah. right? Because 
because the Bruce Willis character is supposed to stop this guy from spreading the virus. And he thinks it's the, the, mm. the, the, the first he thinks it's the leader of the, of this terrorist group called the Army of the Twelve Monkeys. But the Army of the Twelve mm. Monkeys, all they do end up doing is just releasing the lab animals from this guy's <laughs> father's. A bunch of animals, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. father's, um, testing lab. And it's actually an assistant in the lab who ends up being like the really evil, character mm-hmm. who and they and they eventually figure it out okay um but but this but bruce willis is on a quest to stop this person and cut cut, cut to the chase as, as there's an airport scene he has a gun he's trying to stop this guy from getting on the plane the guy someone yells gun they see him they shoot him and as he's basically dying he looks up and he sees his 12 year old self and he's a 12 year old self is that is him. And that's why he's sort of been haunted throughout the film mm-hmm, by mm-hmm. these, by these images of him dying, vision. right? He doesn't stop the bad guy, but the very end of the film, one of the sort of technicians or doctors who sends him back in time is shown to be seated on the plane next to the guy who's going to spread the virus. Okay. And when the guy asks, ask him, ask her what she does for a living, she says, I'm in insurance. So you get the sense, you get the sense that, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna um, nip this in the bud. But what's lovely, what's lovely about the film is that, is that it's so, it's so edible, right? It's like this mm. guy goes on a quest. It's sort of a, uh, this sort of overarching, um, what's the word for, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, his destiny. And mm-hmm. there's no way for him to avoid it. Right, like he always ends up dying in that airport. Uh, so that's for me, like. Oh, you mean you mean Oedipal, and that's it's not in the Oedipal complex. Yeah, I no, was no, thinking, yeah, does yeah, Oedipal no. complex fit in this? No, 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 no. I'm trying so to figure, figure it out, but that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, like, <laughs> edible, that, yeah. Oedipal. With the yeah, whole. you mean in the sense of like his fate is is sealed. Tiresias's, you know, sort of prediction right. that he's yeah, yeah okay, right. prophecy, he, not prediction. Prophecy is what I should right, say. Right, and he, you know, Oedipus runs away. And uh, he runs from that city, and yet he ends up doing the thing anyway. Um, right. And there's and th- there's that mm-hmm. tension throughout the film for me at, in Twelve Monkeys um, of Bruce Willis's character is kind of trying desperately to like figure out how to do this thing and um, and escape his fate, and boom. Ends up dead. Yeah, 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 and, and it can't be avoided. Um, yeah, Twelve Monkeys is a is a great movie. I, um, uh yeah i uh, i i loved it the um you know the 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 recurring theme or the the haunting the the haunted vision is madeline stowe's character right. that he never sees her actual face right. until i mean he meets her but he doesn't see that that's who she is right. there's another kind of thing running through it is is just our deep ignorance of the past and like how oh, that yeah. propels the movie forward. Mm-hmm. So, you know, A, they're, you know, the 12 monkeys are nearly a MacGuffin. I mean, not quite because they Almost. don't abandon it yeah. in the film, but, you know, but they're, they're definitely a misdirection. It's right. not the main point of, right. of anything that happens in the future. Right. And he himself is driven by this image as a kid that he doesn't understand. Right. And so, you know the the movie's propelled forward by this just like deep ignorance of of mm. what has happened in the past and 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 continuing to try and 
figure out and reclaim whatever it is that had happened or rewrite whatever it is that had happened. Mm, yeah. And, yeah. and being, you know, I mean, you, in, in the, you know, if you want, I guess maybe I'm thinking about this because you had used the word Oedipal, but you know, in a certain sense you could do a, a really, you know, sort of psychological reading on it about the kind of the futility of, of living in our own pasts. I mean, the end mm. of the movie definitely, subverts that you're right because you know she it seems to be implying that they're going to somehow fix it Mm -hmm. uh fix the future but you know like continuing to dwell on the wrongs that have happened to us or the things Mm. that you know that we can't that we can't quite come to terms with that have happened in our past Mm. instead of living in the present um is is also another you know another thing that tends to make something uh, you know pretty dystopian or you, you like your own life becomes pretty dystopian mm-hmm. if you're constantly trying to fix things that are are just gone forever you know irre- irre- irrevocably gone so mm. uh, it's a it's a great twelve monkeys is great um, that's that actually makes me think of therapy it makes me think of what I do I really I've just recently started work with a new therapist Gail and. One of the things that um, she had me do when we first had a session, where I was trying to tell her my story kind of quickly. I wanted to give her the, essentially the Cliff Notes version so that she would kind mm-hmm. of have some sense of who I am and then we could you know, sure. mm-hmm. dig into the particularities of my um, life that I feel need, need at some care and attention. Okay. But she said to me, I said, oh, yeah, you know, they, my parents had this fight. And she said, wait, 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 go back. And I said, what, what happened? And I said, well, when I was about 10 or 12, my parents, my mom and dad had this physical fight and in front of us. And I, I, and I, I, I was powerless to do anything about it. And I, 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 I was scared. And she said, well, wait, wait, how did you feel? Like, what, what did you feel in that moment? And I said, I felt like, I felt like I was losing everything. I felt like the house was burning down in front yeah. of me. And she said, mm-hmm. and we talked about it a bit more. She said, you, what you're describing is a kind of trauma. Like you're, you're, mm. you're, you went through something that, that changed how you think about love and, and family life and la la. And, and then she said, you know, if you could go back to your younger self and tell him something in that moment, what would you say to him? And then we walk, we walk through that. Mm-hmm. And she said, and then how would your younger self respond to that? And we work through that. And, and how, and how do you feel now having given your younger self that kind of help? Mm-hmm. And I said, I felt actually relieved um, because that young self was so terrified. He's mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. um, He's just bereft. I mean, I just, I didn't know what, I did not know what to do. Um, so, you know, there's a way in which, I say that to say this, there's a way in which there's a kind of, there's a difference between sort of going over the past and trying to make it different Except, and a different, okay. and, and, or there's a difference between that and metabolizing it. In some ways, like coming to terms hmm. with. Yeah, I, I, uh, you know, I think you've described what I think is one of the most difficult mind fucks about therapy, which is, of course, 
the past is ever present and the past absolutely shapes the present and the future. Of course it does. You know, I think the three of us probably believe that, but at the same time, if you're constantly feeding the past, it's shaping your present, uh, even more so than, you know, and, and I, you know, you sort of make the move at the end to, to talk about, you know, kind of reliving versus metabolizing, um, and, and so and there's no, there's no crit. I'm not implying a criticism. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, impl- I, I'm, I'm, it's a, it's a really, it's, it's a sincere question mark. Yeah. 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 Um, I get it. I, I, yeah, I don't like, that seems like a, tr- that seems like uh, a Chinese finger puzzle kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like a bind that, that the, the problem is the solution is the problem. And kind of, except that get what Gail says is, and I really appreciate this, is that she says we actually have the tools to heal. Like, so it, there is a kind of, there's an end point. She's like, mm-hmm. you, you, what we're doing, I don't know if she's actually explicitly said, that, said this, but I've grokked this. What we're doing is getting to a place of healing. Right. So that's the sort of end of the sort of Chinese finger puzzle. Yeah. Although, I mean, you've been, I mean, that can't be that you were able, you, you had that story so ready at hand and it was such an easy, it was such an easy token to offer to explain your current situation that you've clearly been over that many times and have, and, and, and that the awareness of the helplessness that, you know, small staff felt in, in that situation. Actually, uh, but that's, not, the, but that's I'm, the thing. I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I, I wasn't like, I, I've told the story to a few people. I've never actually like really talked about it in therapy. Mm-hmm. I was kind of glossed over it. And it's the first time that I, I actually sort of faced the fact that it was devastating to me. Like I, I just, mm. I, I, for me, it was always just, oh, that, that sort of happened. But I feel like you've shared that story with me before and shared its weight. Mm, it's very possible, but you and I are, you know, such old friends that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not in, in the, it started, it started to feel like a back. I don't actually, I really do not mean it as, you know, I don't fucking know. I mean, you know, I, you know what I mean? I don't, I like, yeah. I really, I just don't know. Like how, how else do you deal with that thing then? Right. You know, I mean, right. I don't, yeah. I don't really well, have any idea. I'm sorry, Stephen. That's in. why it's just a big white question mark in my head. It's like, mm. you're always dealing with the past, whether you're dealing with it directly or indirectly, whether you're dealing mm-hmm. with it with somebody yeah. else or not, whether you're dealing mm. with the way the culture is structured. So it, mm-hmm. it fascinates me because I'm not sure if you don't address these things, like if you don't address the elephant in the room, you don't address why you are emotionally stagnated mm. and try to figure out going, you're going through stuff. I feel like that, that might be the only way through. But then mm. I think about the, it could be very, it could be a tar pit. You could just end up stuck in it. For sure. And I think that that's what I heard first from Yusef. I mean, Travis, I didn't think you were saying it, but I was thinking some people feel like it happened before. Let's move on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I feel like that's, that's the quagmire I think the U.S. is in. It doesn't mm. want to look at its past. It's constantly mm. being forced to look at it. Mm. But they address the issues that we're having today in some manner, shape, or form. 
Mm. But as someone who's an archivist, I, I want to know what the stories are. Mm. I'm not sure what, what we're supposed to do with them, honestly. But we should know In some them. cases. But I think we should, we should know, know them. them. I do right. think we should know them. Just not, again, I'm not sure. If you're looking at abuse or some, um, some traumatic event in your life, mm. it, it feels like it's your heritage. It's a part of your story. How you mm-hmm, deal with mm-hmm. it is, you know, a matter of, I think the guardrails would be the therapist to kind of help mm-hmm. you manage mm-hmm. how to get through it and think mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. it. But mm-hmm. I think we're always dealing with the past. I feel like the mm-hmm. future feels so finite and the past is so much more rich and large and engulfing. Mm-hmm. But also it always feels like I'm dealing with someone who may or may not know about their past and they're dealing with me. And mm-hmm. I know I don't know all my past, <laughs> even mm-hmm. though I write about it. I'm like, no, I don't remember that part. Or I remember it, mm-hmm. but I'm remembering it with this brain, not with the seven-year-old brain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, all that mishmash to say, I'm just not sure what we're supposed to do with the stories. I don't know what healing looks like if we're not dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I would absolutely go to the mat to, uh, to argue for your observation that you have to deal with your history and your past and that America is t- terrible at that, just absolutely you know, nearly basically in inca- constitutionally incapable of, of dealing with, with its past. Um, the, uh, the, the thing that always in like, it's always kind of in the back of my brain, um, that kind of motivates some of my, my confusion around the topic is there was a very famous uh, Tibetan Buddhist controversy in, I do not remember the century, 12th century, 13th century, something like that, around this idea of gradual versus sudden enlightenment. Mm. So gradual enlightenment Mm. is like you kind of sit every day, you work every day, you work every day, and gradually your mind opens up and you become enlightened. Mm -hmm. Got it. And that's, but the sudden enlightenment is that the sitting is kind of irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And, but that it, there's just a moment and you cannot predict when that moment comes. Mm-hmm. It's almost, I mean, you know, they're Buddhist, so grace would be the wrong word to use mm-hmm. in their, uh, in their sort of cosmology. Right. Uh, but, but that is, or, you know, their psychology, but, but that kind of that idea that, you know, enlightenment sort of occurs to you all of a sudden as it occurred to the Buddha, right? Mm-hmm. He was just sitting under the Bodhi tree and boom, right? Mm-hmm. It occurred to him. Mm-hmm. And, and they use this analogy of like a big boulder, like you hit the boulder every day, you hit the boulder every day and there's no crack. You see absolutely no discernible difference. And then one day there's a crack it, right. in the, in right. the so, right. I mean, we know in the 21st century that actually there are all kinds of micro fissures in right. the boulder that you it's, actually can't see. And right. so, you know, they didn't know right. this back then, but, right. um, but so, but I, that being said, my own journey to like sort of continuing to continual self awareness mm-hmm. is really punctuated by sudden insights mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. like very powerful but compelling senses of patterns or okay. habits of mind mm-hmm. or uh you know, i'll give you a, an example i didn't i wasn't thinking about this but uh my wife is doing uh you know she does duolingo she's done it for like a year now with spanish and she wanted to learn spanish mm-hmm. and every time um she's practicing and i'm nearby 
I feel this urge to like mock the voice of the Duolingo, like, you know, thing. So, and I, you know, I'd say like 95% of the time I I don't do this. Mm -hmm. And then like the other, this is just a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, what, where is that coming from? And I realized Mm -hmm. it made me deeply uncomfortable that she knew something that I didn't know and that she was learning a thing that I didn't know. Uh, like this was something that made me, this didn't sit well with me. This made uh, me, uncomfortable. Made me insec- it made me insecure in that moment. Uh, like that was just a, like I was literally making a sandwich. Right. And it happened. <laughs> and like, right, like, right. I mean, literally I was making a sandwich. I was like, um, oh, wow, that's what a trip. Like what a like funky little thing my mind is doing right here. Yes. And like has been doing like for the last year or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like that's not a gradual thing, right. you know, at least not one that I'm consciously aware of. Okay. okay. Um, and, and so that's always for me playing in the background when I have a conversation about therapy and therapy's efficacy. And I would not, I'm not, I certainly absolutely never would argue against it. I've re- recommended, we've talked about therapy. It's not that it's just, mm-hmm. huh? You know, I just, I wonder, I just wonder about, uh, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, well, well, all so. I want, uh, what I, no, it's not all I want to say, but one of the things I want to say is that there's something about preparing the ground so uh, that it can grow that thing, so that 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 mm-hmm. that aha blossom can come to be, mm-hmm. and I feel like mm-hmm. that's exactly what therapy has done for me. And there have been moments in 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 the therapeutic uh, situation in which I say something out loud, which I may have said before. I may have said, mm-hmm. as you point out, Travis, I, I told that story to you. Story about my mom and dad fighting. I've told it before, but there was, I'd say it in a certain way or there's a certain mm. response and I see an, uh, an other side of that faceted diamond. And I'm like, mm. Oh, Oh, mm-hmm. my father is never going to love me the way that I want him to. Oh, mm-hmm. Oh, I just mm-hmm. have to accept that. Oh, mm-hmm. Oh, I've been carrying this around for so long. Reali- uh, the, the, re- this is the kind of s- subconscious realization that He's not, and I haven't actually faced that. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But wait, wait, wait. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Before we, because we're, we're we're getting close to the end of uh, stuff, and I really want to mention the second story. Okay, mm-hmm. second dystopian thing. Ender's Game. I didn't see the film, but I know the 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 the, the book by Orson Scott Card, which was written in I think 1985. Um, it is for me. One of the, I mean, I read it when I was like a teenager. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's just one of the, um, um, more amazing, most amazing stories I've ever read. Basically, it's Earth way, way, way into the future. They mm-hmm. have, everybody has a two child policy. There's this guy, a third that's born to this, to this, into this family. The brother is a highly functioning sociopath. The sister's, um, <laughs> highly functioning empath. You know, sort of, it's sort of like Andrew sla- uh, slash Ender Wiggins ends up in the middle. Um, um, and there's this kind of way in which Card is doing a lot of foreshadowing. The, um, and Ender is, um, bullied in school. Um, mm-hmm. everybody is tested because, sorry, backstory. The hu- human beings have at this point encountered this alien species called, they call the Formites. 
they are kind of insectoid species that have a hive mind. They've gotten into, what's, this, what's the word? Yeah, violent skirmishes with them. And they mm-hmm. are very, very, very afraid that this species is going to wipe them out. Okay. Mm-hmm. So every child goes to this battle school where they're monitored. And, they're, and they basically are training them up to be like the next generation of military commanders to deal with this existential threat. Okay. Ender tests out of that because whatever. Um, and then he gets bullied in school and he ends up using, he ends up figuring out how to use this kind of overwhelming force against this kid so that this kid will stop bullying him. Ender doesn't know this, but the kid later dies. He gets taken to battle school. In battle school, they are trained in, it's, it, it, that part of the book is really fun. Um, but they do sort of increasingly, uh, uh, sophisticated um, technological apparatuses that they use to basically train them in how to um, carry out warfare, and mm-hmm. and and they see and 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 they're this sort of incipient genius. Okay. Um, they don't tell him this, but when they take him into the simulator, um, and he's t- and he's taken with a bunch of his classmates, and this guy, the kid, is like. At this point, he's like like 14 or 15. Take him into the mm-hmm. simulator to like do these war games. What he okay. doesn't know is that in the simulator is actually him commanding Earth's forces um, in the actual battles. In the last battle, Ender's just, he looks at, the way Card describes in the, in the book is great. He basically looks at the battlefield and he realizes that the odds are insurmountable. There's just no way he's going to mm-hmm. win. He sacrifices his entire fleet by using it to carry this device they call doctor device. Basically, it causes a, a kind of molecular chain reaction so that everything in the, in his own fleet and every um, every one of the Formites who are engaged with that fleet also die at the same time. So he wipes out Everyone and it, it, essentially, what he does is he commits genocide. Yeah, and when he does this, thinking you know it's a game and that there's no way out, uh, no, no other way out, um, he sees that the the room behind him erupts in cheers because everybody's like, "Oh my God, you just saved planet Earth." He, I should mention that he's on some like distant outpost; he's not anywhere close to Earth when this mm. happens. So you end up with this story of a kind of triumph. But it's a triumph at the cost of wiping out an entire species. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the Ender sort of quintet, I think it's called, I think there are five books in the series. In the next book, basically, he, he tries in some ways to atone for this grave act. Um, and he finds the, the nest of this, the queen and he takes her with her takes her with him to find a, an inhabitable planet and la 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 and it, it goes on from there but i love this story because it is it is again that kind of like you win and lose like you sometimes when mm-hmm. you win you lose yeah. and sometimes when you lose you win um so that so it's a pyrrhic victory mm-hmm. which i get mm-hmm. um but is it i mean that doesn't sound fully dystopian to me because i feel like in dystopian like you don't win 
Like you just you just lose. <laughs> well, <I> th- <laughs> just, you're just losing. Yeah, I mean, like may- maybe maybe you're right, but I mean, in some ways, I guess it's because I'm focused on Ender. Like he mm-hmm. he he mm. does really lose. I mean, he loses mm. his entire childhood. Yeah, right? like mm. like he now becomes this sort of hero pariah who has to wander the universe, mm. trying to find a home for this hive queen who's the last of her species. Mm-hmm. While also mm-hmm. trying to like tell her story, and he does write a book about the the, the sort of story mm. of the Formites, and and then he goes, and his saga kind of continues from there. So you know, in a way, like he really loses. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 right. This mm. he, he you know sort of sacrifices everything to to this thing. Yeah, I mean, I I I actually you and another uh, actually Chris uh, Edmeyer who edits mm-hmm. our our podcast. He, it's one of his favorite books as well. So I I know the the story mm-hmm. uh, quite. It's probably one of the reasons I haven't read it because I've heard the whole thing <laughs> described to me multiple times. <laughs> okay, so okay. it sounds great. <laughs> so yeah. it sounds like a lot of fun. Um uh, so yeah, uh, okay, so dystopian for him. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I, f- I feel like you know, mm. I mean, it, we don't, you know, we're coming up on time. I know, but it feels a little like. Uh, I mean, when I think of dystopian, I definitely think of socially dystopian, like sort of the yeah. the social universe. The social universe is um, oppressive and, uh, dangerous and, you know, doesn't, uh, nurture its subjects and stuff mm. like that. But, um, although I said, maybe they're not, I mean, if they're, they're sending all these people to war colleges is the, <laughs> is the way that they're, they're creating, you know, well-adjusted adults. That's probably a problem. So, Precisely. um, yeah, yeah. The, uh, Steven, you're about to say something. Actually, you're about to say two things. And then earlier you were going to, um, I was wondering if your grounding in philosophy is a form of therapy that allows you to have these moments of insight. Interesting question. That's the first thing. The second thing mm, is mm. if the dystopian is a quality, if it's a something in what you just described in Ender's Game, I thought of The Last Emperor, whose the whole story is around The Last Emperor in China, whose mm. entire childhood was snatched away from him. Mm. And he was left mm-hmm. without a story of his own in a way. That's all. Yeah. 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 uh, Weirdly, what that made me think of is our contemporary dystopias, right? Like QAnon is, Mm. I mean, clearly, is clearly, and and honestly, I I mean, kind of uh, the most extreme versions of wokeness are also a kind of dystopian worldview. As far as Definitely. you know, the, mm-hmm. it, the the world is you know irreme- irredeemable, right. and you know well, that's and, where the left loses. The left doesn't have an imagination about what's possible at times. Mm. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm. Yeah. Um, so maybe I mean maybe we can transition to that next time. Actually, talking about contemporary dystopias, mm. like sort of contemporary dystopia. That sounds like a lot of fun. You know, like yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Politics of dystopia or whatever. So yeah, um, I wonder if I wonder if we would be able to. To, to, to sort of in that vein, talk about whether the Cold War situation is more dystopian than than what we have now mm. in terms of geopolitics. Mm. Yeah, also good. Yeah, and then the other thing is, I mean, Trump's entire 2016 election is based on a dystopian idea. Oh, America, absolutely. Just you know, absolutely. You know, I mean, yeah. American carnage. I mean, <laughs> it's, like, it's really. Oof. Yeah. Um, I mean, basically, he so, was just trying to like scare white people into voting for him. I mean, that's all. Yeah, it, Scare anybody. Yeah. yeah, it was yeah. white people, but it was also just people who felt dispossessed, right? right. 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Cause we all like, uh, to yeah, go. I mean, I think mm-hmm. that's all. No, no, no. Finish what you're going to say, Stephen. No, I was thinking that it's Trump's appeal cracks me up because you know, the proud boys, the head of the proud boys, Afro Cuban man, there are a few mm-hmm. other people who mm-hmm. don't fit the quote unquote, mm-hmm. supposedly Appalachian white person who feels dispossessed. It's like, no, it's a cornucopia of people. It's a variety of kinds of people who True. have invested in a particular kind of America that never existed. You know? True. Yeah. True. 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 Yeah. True. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, same page. So okay. So I, I guess that'll be you know next next few talks. Yeah. So, nice. As always. Yes. Thanks for the conversation. For sure. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Bye.